Thanks for joining me. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Over the many years of doing this program, I'm sorry to say that I only had one opportunity to talk with NPR and ABC's Cokie Roberts. We talked all the way back in 1998 upon the publication of her book about mothers and daughters and the changing role of women. It was a long time ago, long before Me Too, but she was so prescient about so many of today's issues. With her work firmly planted in her memory, it's my pleasure to share with you some of that conversation from May of 1998. Koki, good morning. Nice to be with you, Jeff. First of all, it seems that every woman I have ever known at one time in their lives have always said, God, I don't want to become like my mother. Well, you know, that's, it's funny you should say that because um, uh, I really found that when I titled the book, that there were people whose reaction was exactly that. No, I am not my mother's daughter. <laughs> but um, I'm really not talking about specific mothers and daughters here. I'm talking about the connections among women uh, over time and place. But the truth is most of us do become our mothers. In talking about the generational change that exists between women, I wonder if with each generation, the gap between mothers and daughters doesn't become larger as a result of so much of the social change that goes on, that events are moving faster and faster, and it seems like, you know, is, is, is the gap between you and your daughter greater than between you and your mother? No, and is not that... at all, and in fact, I don't think that's true, uh, uh, and in fact, there's a good bit of survey data to show that it's not. Um, I think that there was there was a gap among baby boom women, which does not include me, I'm older than the baby boom, uh, and their mothers for a very certain set of historic reasons. Uh, the mothers of the baby boom, had many of them had worked during World War II, were sent home from work after the war, and uh, the cult of domesticity was really um, uh, put on a very high plane. And those mothers had uh, multiple children, that's why it is the boom, and um, were really the first generation of women uh, who were not very, very wealthy to be at home. And uh, their daughters are the first generation of women to uh, be in huge numbers in the workplace because of the changes in the laws. And um, I think that that, that, that particular uh, pairing was very problematic for a long period of time. And, and of course, since anything that happens with the baby boom sort of dominates everything in the society, we heard a lot about it. What's happening now is that as those women are getting older, they are uh, becoming much closer to their mothers. And, um, and the next generation of women, the, the Gen Xers as they're called, are gen by and large quite close to their mothers. And as the Gen Xers begin to come of age, are they aware of the tremendous efforts that their mothers, the baby boomer mothers, have made to allow them much of the freedom that they have in, in our society today? No, but neither are the baby boomers aware of the efforts that women like I made. Uh -huh. uh, so, so it's not, uh, <laughs> so it's there's not no... unusual to not, uh, to, not be, um, to not understand what came before you. And that's part of what I'm trying to do in this book, is give people a sense of the fact that women... Uh, throughout history have have played a lot of different roles that women um, have always had to do a lot of juggling. You know, uh, this is not some late 20th century phenomenon. Think of the women who settled California. Uh -huh. you know, um, the amount of uh, difficulties that they had to go through, first getting here and then 
been um, making homes out of the wilderness, and and um, I always think poor things before they could even get to the point of making all the clothes. They had to first grow the sheep, but right. um, the um, the difficulties and the joys of, of being a woman have not really changed that much over the centuries, and that's part of what I was trying to address. So it, there is a sense, as uh, Casey Stengel said, of déjà vu all over right. again. Or that, as my mother would say, plus ça change, plus ça shows, which <laughs> the, is the more things change, the, the more, more they, they stay the stay same. The same. That, that this struggle between work and family, that this balance has always been part of, of, of the uh, culture. Absolutely. Women, you know, think of women on the farm uh, having to work terribly hard in the, on the farm. And often, actually, what they would do would be to bring in um, a young female relative to help with the children because it could be dangerous in the early days in farm life. There'd be open hearths and farm farm equipment around and and uh, there was the equivalent of the au pair girl, but it, uh-huh. was a, it was a cousin or a niece or something. What comfort can contemporary women find in this notion that, that every problem that they're facing, that this balance that we're talking about is not new and it's been surmounted by generations? Is, is there a comfort level that should be derived from this? I would think so. I think that one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I think that women have been doing multiple tasks and doing them very well uh, for a very long time, and I wanted to celebrate that. And I think if young women sort of take a look and see, gee, you know, women have have been doing this, and I can do it, that it it should give them some sense of uh, relaxation about it. You know, young women are constantly saying to me, well, how can you plan for this? Well, you can't plan for it. Uh, Things will happen in your life that there's absolutely no way on earth to plan for. My father, who was in Congress, was lost in an airplane over Alaska when he was 58. My mother couldn't have planned for that or planned for the fact that she would then run for Congress when she was 57 years old uh, and start a whole new life and career. Um, And I think that, um, that, that many things happen to many women, and the... The comfort you can take is that women have been getting through it for a long time. When one realizes that and, 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 and takes into account this comfort factor, you come back to something that was one of, one of really the precepts, I suppose, of a certain part of the women's movement, which is that the personal is political. And that in a very real sense, at least in our contemporary times, much of what we're talking about, much of what's been true for generations, has suddenly become very politicized. I think that's true. I, I, I think that that's unfortunate because it doesn't make much sense to me for it to be politicized. Um, and I, you know, I'm not on any kind of soapbox here about women at home versus women at work or any of that stuff. I think that, um, that, the, that women should do whatever works for them and works for their families. And, and, um, and, and that I, decision will change at various times in women's lives. And I suppose that is the overriding point of all of this, that these are highly personal choices right. that women make for different reasons at different points in their lives. Right. It's not just one choice. You keep making choices. In our society today, as, as the age to which we live grows older and older, we, we get to make those choices Absolutely. more and more often. My mother, my mother just took a new job at the age of 81, as the ambassador to the Vatican, you know, moved to a new country, started a new job. So uh, it, it gives you a sense that there's plenty of time there. 
How can we take the politicization out of this issue? Well, I think women can do it for themselves and for their own sisters, uh, sisters in the broadest sense, um, just by, you know, letting letting people be um, and saying, look, my decision is a useful decision for me and uh, her decision is a useful decision for her without making any kind of judgments about it. And what can men come away with from this learning? Well, I'm, I'm actually delighted at how much men have liked this book, so that makes me feel good. Um, the, I think that part of it is just that there's some interesting characters in it um, that you can learn about, uh, characters in history plus some contemporary women. But um, I think that, um, I mean, I am, I am far from any kind of a male basher. You know, I like guys, and uh-huh. I, I like them being different from women. Um, I do think that we we do operate differently, and and we are women do tend to be more connected to each other and more collegial, and men do tend to be more competitive. But that works, you know. It works in a workplace to have both going on. It works in a family to have both going on. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that you know, rejoicing in in our individuality and the differences is is very useful. I suppose one of the potentially negative things that that men can come away with is that in interpersonal relationships and situations where women are particularly troubled by trying to find that balance in in, in today's society between work and family and try and juggle everything and have it all and, and, and act as if this is something that no generation before has ever had to deal with, there is the realization which can be brought to bear from your book that, that this has been around, as we said before, right. for a very long time. That's right, and that uh, you know they don't need to be so exercised about it. Mm-hmm. One of the very helpful things my mother did with me was one night when I was covering Congress for NPR, and it was late at night, and they were you know they were they were just being ridiculous on the floor of the house, staying forever. And, and I wanted to get home, and I went down and got my mother off the floor and said, isn't this just awful? You know, the poor kids, there they are waiting for me. And Mama looked at me, and she said, Koki, those kids are fine. Those kids are great, and you're fine, and you're doing fine, so just relax. It's going to be okay. And it was such a moment of of just relieving any guilt and essentially getting permission from my mother. And... Um, you know, it's it's by and large the case. Anybody who's even in a position of worrying about this is likely to be someone who cares deeply about her children, uh, who cares about her marriage, and that's you know that puts those kids way ahead of the game. One of the other things that you point out in the book, which is I think an equally important part of this, is sometimes that it's better for the kids because it's better for the mother if she is working, if she's fulfilling herself and nurturing herself through her role. In my case, I was never very happy when I was home uh, and not working. I was, I, part of it is I think I'm just not very competent at some of the things that you can do at home that uh, do uh, exercise talents. I was never very good at you know, sort of making things beautiful in the house and that kind of thing. Martha, um, Martha Stewart was not no, the role model. No, that's right. I'm a good cook, and I like to cook, but that's about it. Um, and uh, and I need the company of of other people. I need com- the companionship. I need the discipline of going to a place of work, that kind of thing. I was able, luckily, when my children were quite small, to have more flexible kinds of jobs. But 
from the time they were in seven and nine, I was working very hard. And, and um, you know, I'm sure there were times that that was very difficult for them. But it would have been a lot more difficult if I had been home and, and, uh, and very depressed. depressed right. A depressed mother is not a, a, an easy thing for a child. Have you ever talked with your children about whether or not they would have wished you were home more and around oh, more? Oh, sure. My kids are grown, and... They're married, and they're wonderful people. They are um, really productive, happy, funny, smart grown-ups. So, uh-huh. you know, it's a, it's a nice outcome. But they, um, they, they say, sure, there were times when they would have liked us to be there more. And they, they, and they say what they really hated was the nights when we would call and say, We'll be home at, you know, 7, and then say, whoops, that'll be 8, and that'll be... And that's, of course, the nature of the kinds of jobs my husband and I had of of being reporters and being uh, the victim of whatever we were covering. But um, the, the beyond that, they have a very, very positive sense of, of their upbringing, and they have a sense that, you know, we really were always there for them in any kind of important way. You're looking forward to uh, the next generation in your family? To uh, oh, I'm I'm so, I'm trying so hard not to be a terrible mother about this. Say, <laughs> where are my grandchildren? But uh, my kids both just got married last year, and I right. promised them I'd shut up for about a year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do have six niece, great nieces and nephews, and. Um, they are quite so. I do have another generation of my brother and sister's kids, but uh, they are and they are totally delightful. But they're not mine. <laughs> now, do your daughters say, "God, I don't want to become like my mother"? No, my daughter's very gracious about it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> she actually, um, I I said to her recently, uh, Becca, I hate to um, point this out to you in case in any way you might feel that this is somewhat uncomfortable, but um, um, it has come to my attention <clears throat> that you are now a public radio reporter. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I know, I know, and I love it. But uh, she says, but I'm reporting on technology, not politics, so it's different. Uh, but imitation is still truly a <laughs> sincere form of flattery. Koki Roberts, the book is We Are Our Mother's Daughters. I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.